Good day and welcome to yet another edition of our podcast, Offside Musings. I'd like to welcome you on behalf of my co-host, Emeka Onyawa, to today's um, uh, edition. We're going to be discussing uh, something that has cropped out or cropped up from uh, our last uh, episode where we uh, implored uh, candidates like uh, Tinubu, Atiku, Oju Zokalo, and Rocha Sokorocha to please not run for the presidency in 2023. And our argument is that these are men who uh, have not exemplified any political uh, sagacity, uh, who have not excelled as leaders, uh, but who, have, who simply represent this idea that they have money. And the argument that we made in our last episode is that Nigeria needs men and women of ideas um, because the country is bedeviled, if you like, besieged, uh, by so many problems, uh, and these problems have been compounding for decades. And so we need radical break uh, from the kind of mediocrities uh, who have uh, run the country over the decades, and we really need um, people who are going to use their minds. And these are not certainly uh, the Tinubus and the Atikus and the uh, uh, Kalos and the uh, Rochas or Korachas of our world. So the question that a lot of our listeners then raised is, if you say that the Tinubus should not run, then who should run? Um, in today's episode, we're going to grapple with that difficult question because we admit that it is difficult. Uh, but we're also going to propose that there is a certain prototype that Nigerians could look at. Uh, in 2015, I believe that the most exciting candidate in that presidential election was uh, the only female candidate, uh, Remy Shania. Uh, in uh, the last set of presidential elections, the most exciting candidates, intellectually speaking, in terms of indeed experience, in terms of um, their insight into the crisis in Nigeria and the potential problems to those problems, uh, pot potential solutions, sorry, to those problems, were Kinsley Morialo and uh, Fela Drotoye. And so these are the kinds of people that we think, uh, we propose at, at any rate, that Nigerian voters, especially young people, must educate themselves to look at in a serious way if they are themselves interested in the solution to Nigeria's problems. So we look forward to examining this subject uh, in today's uh, podcast. And again, we welcome you. Man, so that was a, that was a very hypothetical. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it, it was interesting to, to see the kind of uh, conversation that our last podcast uh, generated, I think it's been by far the most um, uh, thought-provoking um, uh, podcast that we've done uh, because people feel, um, a lot of people actually feel strongly 
uh, a sense of the poverty of the field that we have, at least the poverty of the field of candidates that the two major political parties are proposing, uh, i.e. the PDP and the APC. And so when we suggested in our last podcast that, uh, you know, these candidates who are described as the leading or front-running candidates should indeed spare Nigeria the agony of running. A lot of people paid attention, but there were all kinds of questions that they raised about this. And some people accused us of being idealistic, um, which is a typical Nigerian kind of accusation. And I think that uh, my response is that, yes, we need to be idealistic. uh, And that, in fact, idealism should be a reality in Nigeria. And when other societies do things that uh, we admire, um, i.e. elect young, dynamic, younger, not necessarily young, but dynamic, visionary, clear-thinking leaders. We have this kind of envy, and we fantasize that we uh, be in a position to recruit the same kind of leadership. But whenever we have the opportunity to do so, we tend inevitably to uh, relapse into this is between the PDP or the APC is either Atiku or, 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 or Tinubu. And, um, you know, so I, you know, it's almost as if we are wedded to mediocrity and we are allergic to, uh, to success. Yeah. I mean, the question is always like, how do, how do people, how do we break out of that mold? Because it's exactly what you say. Oh, yeah, man, everything this is very idealistic. This is very this. This is very that. This is very... And it's like the analogy I'm, I've, I, I always use and I'll keep using. Trump won that election. And one of the things that put him over the finish line was when he had that speech where he's like, what do you have to... What do we have Absolutely. to lose? Like, what? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, here were people... And by the way, how did Obama win? When Obama started, everybody felt it was going to be a coronation for Hillary Clinton, right? Mm-hmm. That was the going conventional wisdom that Hillary Clinton, uh, it was her convention and her, um, her ticket to lose, right? And this upstart, Obama, came into the race. And everybody, most pundits, counted him out. Right, he true. kept saying, yes, we can. Yes, we can. And that phrase, okay, that three-word phrase, resonated with young voters across racial lines, okay? So suddenly young men and women in America said, you know what? This is a different kind of candidate, okay? Uh, This man seems to articulate um, something of our vision and of our dream and of our sense of the world. And they said, why not? And um, once... uh, It's, It's imperative to note he didn't come up with the phrase and he didn't even want yes, to the use phrase. the phrase, yes. But the people, and that's a testament to also he himself, the people around him, the people he had surrounded himself with, some of whom had been with him for, for well, maybe not decades. Well, over a decade, David Axelrod had been with him from like the late 90s, mm-hmm. some of whom were instrumental in, in changing his mindset towards that phrase and how much that phrase was going to be able to take him possibly at that point in time over the finish line. And the phrase, he adopted the phrase, it resonated. And suddenly you started hearing 
men, women of all ages saying, yes, we can. Yes, we can. And um, in desperation, Hillary Clinton lost uh, one of the primaries and, you know, shed tears, uh, almost to say to... New, New Hampshire, uh, I think. Yeah, precisely. Almost <laughs> to say to her base, you know, are you going to be here and, you know, see me humiliated? And so she won the next one. But Obama quickly retook the momentum and, um, and coasted all the way to, to the finish line and then brought the same thing. You know, people said, hey, his best pro, um, uh, credentials at that point was that he was a community organizer. And so it was ridiculed, it was mocked. But young people were saying, hey, we're willing to try a different track, a different, um, a different kind of candidate. And here you had a two-term president. And as you rightly said, then Donald Trump came again as an outlying outside candidate, very unconventional in a lot of ways. A man who would say things that would have doomed the careers of like 99% of traditional uh, politicians, right? And people said as he kept saying these things that would have been regarded as four powers, you see, people kept saying, listen, the man is authentic. You know, so I, I think that in the end, that uh, voters look for authenticity of all sorts. So sometimes it's bad, a bad species of authenticity, and sometimes it's, it's a good type. Um, but I think that to go back to the subject of today's conversation, when people said to me, uh, in reaction, people wrote to me, people put it out on uh, their different platforms where the uh, podcasts were shared. And um, what was ultimately, um, uh, what ultimately became clear that was that people are, are looking for almost guidance, you know, saying, so who should run? Who should we be looking at? And my first instinct is to say that our podcast is not going to be doing endorsements, okay? Uh, yes, because never. otherwise it's, 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 it's going to be quite easy to then say, okay, these people are megaphones for one candidate or another. But all that I want to say, well, it's not all that I want to say, but the main thing that I want to say is that we are interested in candidates who show an awareness, demonstrate an awareness of the nature and the depth and the scope of the problems in our country, Nigeria. Okay, so that's key. So if candidates are able to articulate what those problems are, but even more so they are able to then profile is number of solutions that are not just wishy-washy, but are again deeply thought solutions. That's the kind of candidate. Uh, so rather than who is going to run, I'll say to people, look at what kind of candidate should you be looking at. And, um, and I think that Nigeria really has in a, a, a history, you know, what I call the prototype of the kind of candidate that I'm talking about. So in 2015, 
the lone woman who was on the presidential lineup, Remy Shania, um, in a series of campaigns and a series of interviews, articulated a sense of purpose and a depth of understanding about the problems of the country of Nigeria and proposed solutions. Um, but somehow, I think uh, that whole antipathy to uh, political upstarts in, in Nigeria counted against her. And I suspect that the fact that she, uh, she's a woman also counted against her. Uh, in our last round of elections in 2019, um, I think that candidates like Kinsley Morialu, who continues to be active, and I think he's the most active political uh, actor from that last election, that he's, um, he left his party um, and, um, and has joined the African Democratic Congress, ADC, which I think is a more formidable political party. Which is the same party that used to put up uh, Prophet um a whole bunch of other Precisely. Um, more serious political, political gladiators. Ideas. Yeah. So, so I, think, I think that Kinsley Morialo has sustained, you know, and in my um, private conversations with some of the candidates, including Kinsley Morialo, I have told them that uh, you can't just show up the year of an election and say you want to run. You have to be visible. And I think he's doing as good a job of that as anybody that I've seen. So Kinsley Moralu represents a prototype of the kind of candidate uh, that I'd like to see. Again, let me be clear, I'm not endorsing Kinsley Moralu. Yes, we are I'm not, not doing endorsing that Remy <laughs> Shania. Um, then Fela Durotoye, again, is articulate. Uh, he's well-spoken, he's thoughtful, somebody like that. These are the people, so Nigeria must, Nigerians must wake up to the need to break out of the mold of putting their, their affairs in the hands of broken, um, broken men. Yeah. Women yeah. who have nothing to offer. Yeah. I mean, I mean, exactly what we're trying to tie in um, is tying in from a long shot, two long shot campaigns that have won the president, even to some, to a slighter degree, Joe Biden um, is also a discarded, even though he's been in the system for a long time, but more or less discarded. The guy that grew up with his daughter, didn't go to the big Ivy Leagues, went to University of Delaware and Syracuse University. Um, in the, in the in the landscape of American politics, that is not um, elite. You know, it's not it, the University of Delaware is not an elite state school, mm. more or less even an elite school. Mm. Um, and uh, Syracuse University is just an okay place in the distance of. But he also makes it. But the more pertinent ones are obviously Trump and uh, um, Barack Obama's elections, um, and they were long shot campaigns and. You know, people will say, people are, will believe um, the mindset, um, the, 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 the cloud or the picture of the impossibility of somebody with, with um, what is the word they like to use? Uh, somebody who hasn't done it before, according mm -hmm. to them now. Yeah. A neophyte. And, and, you know, so <laughs> exactly. That, that kind of person has no place. In, in fact, the common phrase is, could you go run for the local government chairman yeah. in, your, in your local government? So people, 
people tend to believe those things. Um, and uh, I think what we are trying to, what we both agree on, what we agree on here, both of us is, what do you have to lose? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was looking at a video this morning on, on social media of Lagos, uh, the traffic in Lagos. And this one was the, the nice one because this one is, wasn't even traffic of cars. This was traffic of bikes, mm. bike um, gridlock traffic mm. of bikes, motorbikes mm. in Lagos. Mm-hmm. Um, it tells you just how much the infrastructure is. Cro- I remember growing up in Lagos in the 90s. Um, I don't really remember serious um, um, gridlock of traffic of bikes, but now you, we have that there in Lagos. Yeah. Um and that's just a snapshot. There's so many other things we could point to in terms of um, um, the need for uh, thinking outside the box, infrastructure development, a young population, mm-hmm. you know, having massive brain drain. People are literally uh, walking, in some cases, trying to walk to other countries mm-hmm. by food just to, yeah. you know, not have a wasted life yeah. in Nigeria. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I was, you know, talking about that. I was just... Uh, uh, watching a, a short video by Sean Kuti, you know, um, where basically um, he was saying that, uh, Niger- you know, a lot of Nigerians want to leave their country, see their country as hellish, you know. And and uh, his argument was that um, if, if you thought that that wasn't true, he said, let America or one of these European countries, you know, declared their borders open for one week. Said nobody will be left in Nigeria. In fact, you on, know, on that point, I think I saw the U- the British High Commission uh, yes. opened up, I think last week, mm-hmm. and the queue mm-hmm. to get a you know it's crazy, you know. And yet, and yet, um, I, I did an interview yesterday. That, that, uh, well, not an interview. I, there's um, um, a professor who was teaching my. Uh, my memoir. So he invited me to join uh, his class last night. And the question that he personally asked me to end the class was, if I had the choice, would I rather be in, live in America as I do currently, or would I live in Nigeria? And um, I told him that, interestingly, I was just um, holding this particular conversation with uh, the great Kenyan writer Ngugi Wachiongo, who will join us uh, in a few weeks on this podcast. Um, but Ngugi and I, I was his guest in California uh, two weeks ago, and he was saying to me, okay, listen, that America has a lot of formidable intellectuals and, and academics. He said that he and I would are more needed in our different countries in Africa, in his own case, Kenya, my own case, Nigeria. But he said, here we are. He said, the West takes our resources, uh, natural resources, uh, they take our material resources, and then he says, they take our human resources, the best of our human resources. So my answer to this uh, professor last night was that I would much rather live in Nigeria than in America, uh, precisely because that's where my contribution would be more deeply felt. Uh, But on the other hand, I said to him that there's something called also uh, self-interest. 
Okay. So I said, I'll live in Nigeria, all things being equal. Okay. Uh, nobody who has the opportunity, well, maybe some people would, but few people would choose to be uh, have as their primary residence a country where they're not guaranteed good health care, where they're not guaranteed safety of their persons, you know, either when they travel by road, from kidnappers, from uh, predatory police, uh, criminals, from customs, and so on. And uh, who doesn't have access to electricity uh, so that you can't even sleep well at night, either because you are menaced by mosquitoes or if you are running a generator, uh, the generator just keeps you only half asleep. You know, so the quality of life itself, even, even for people who have money in Nigeria, is questionable, right? Mm -hmm. And part of why all of that uh, dysfunction um, continues is that year after year, um, every election cycle, we somehow find somebody broken in a moral way, but perhaps even broken physically, okay, to run our, uh, our affairs. You know, so you had Olusegun uh, Obasanjo who beat Faleye, okay, in an election. And I'm sure that everybody would agree that in terms of moral funds, as well as uh, enlightenment, that Faleye far, um, is far superior to Obasanjo. And, and look at the kind of leadership Obasanjo gave to us. He empowered people like Chris Oba. He empowered, <laughs> empowered Lamidi Adedibu, uh, 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 you know, to go and... Gave allowed him to use the police to go and ransack a governor. A governor had to run away from his office, okay? And no consequences. You know, Chris Oba mobilized the police to go and remove uh, Chris Ngige, who was, in a, at any rate, he was the governor, but he was rigged in by the PDP, but he wasn't doing what he'd been asked to do, uh, which, was, uh, which was to turn over the resources of Anambra State to this cabal, for which... Chris Oba was allowed to use the police to go and chase this man from his office. Uh, so that's Obasanjo's legacy. And so, um, and then Obasanjo, as he was leaving, orchestrated the takeover of the government by uh, uh, Musa Yaradua, Omaru Musa Yaradua, uh, a man he knew to be gravely ill. And it was a plan. Obasanjo was denied the third term in office and he wanted to put in a man that he thought would then depend on him to continue to rule from the sidelines remotely, okay? So he put in this man and then Buhari, who had lost a step both mentally and physically, then succeeded Jonathan, uh, who uh, again, despite his PhD, was not a very PhD sound... PhD in, for, in forestry. Uh, yeah, was not a very sound man. Was it forestry? I'm not thinking of it. Was um, it uh, Zoology. Zoology, yeah. yes. There we go. Um, so, so here you have um, uh, a Tinubu. Uh, so I was talking that in, in uh, as Abbasanjo was leaving office, having been denied a third term, what he did was to put in a man who was physically invalid, um, you remember that moment mm -hmm. during the campaigns uh, when Abbasanjo uh, was on the phone 
<laughs> to Yaradwa, who was uh, abroad in a hospital. Yeah. And Umaru. he said, oh, Umaru, they are saying you are dead. They Umaru, say- are you dead? <laughs> <laughs> it is, you know, the fact that that question would arise, the fact that a presidential candidate was missing in action and his, the man he was going to take over from ultimately is calling him and saying, people are saying you are dead. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Are you gosh. dead? You know, should have told us that to hire Yaradwa was a knucklehead move. And yet that's what happened. And so you elected this man and he spent most of his term in hospitals abroad. And not hospitals in Nigeria, hospitals either in Germany or Saudi Arabia. Okay. Ditto for Buhari. You know, how many months was Buhari uh, outside of the country attending to his health? So, and, and so now you have a Tinubu whose health is clearly not uh, stellar, to, to put it sort of to be kind. Uh, this man is sick. Okay, he's physically devastated. Even if he wasn't physically ill. Or, yeah, you know. even if he's, a, he's too, you know, what does Tinubu represent? What has Tinubu done, really? Okay, or somebody like Atiku, okay, who was just a vice president. Prior to that, he'd been, you know, he'd been a customs officer and came out of that with a lot of wealth, okay? Uh, did he save all his salary? How, how do these people make how did they make their wealth? Uh, is the question that Nigerians, especially young people, young people, this is an appeal to you, okay? Please, it is about your future. Stop settling for these men and women who are decrepit physically and morally inept. You know, it's going to bring you nothing but grief. It's going to bring you nothing but broken, dysfunctional uh, Nigeria. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, that, that's the, I mean, that's the, that's the whole, it's hard for um, a lot of young people to, and that's my own experience talking with people, uh, communicating on social media platforms. It's, it's hard for them to even see um, the way the 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 way we you know we can't we can't even verify the way they get get their money. I mean, we still still see stories about Tinubu saying he was paid. Um, I think I was reading something about him saying he was paid one million dollars for going to work in Saudi Arabia for um, who, who was uh, he said he was working in Deloitte and that he went there for a month and then by the time he came back he he got about a million dollars in his account <laughs> and it's like I'm like wow. I mean, Deloitte. I mean, I, 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 yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I haven't met one formal or current employee of Deloitte in New York, um, in LA that can verify that, 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 that was That's impossible. Compensation that is plausible. That's even plausible. But, you know, it's, it's hard for young people to even come to terms with the fact that these people's wealth is, is, it's yeah. stolen. Yeah, for exactly. most it's of hard. the time, the the wealth that they flaunt. Okay, um, l- l- let me put it this way, right? No man will buy 
hundreds and maybe even thousands of cars to give away as gifts. No man will go around to traditional rulers, giving them um, hundreds of thousands of naira. Okay. Millions, rather. Uh, well, yeah. You know, but in the in the end, he's yeah. giving each traditional ruler maybe half a million, two hundred and fifty. I mean, not just Tinubu, a lot of these candidates. Okay, they go to the, the to these traditional rulers and to so-called stakeholders. Okay, so here Tinubu tells us that he's consulting. The last, the first group that he should consult if he wants to be president will be Nigerians. What's he doing? He's consulting those he calls stakeholders. And that whole idea needs to be demystified. The stakeholders in Nigeria are Nigerians. Every single Nigerian, the Nigerian who pushes a wheelbarrow, okay, at a construction site in Obomosho, has an equal stake in that country as an Obasanjo, ex-president Obasanjo. Okay, so this whole idea that there are some people who are stakeholders in Nigeria that you need to consult. And the, when you take a look at the people who are ostensibly the stakeholders, these are the men and women, mostly men, a smattering of women who have wrecked Nigeria. Yeah, very true. Uh, people who should be ostracized by society because of their criminal conduct. And they are the ones who are now being consulted. Do you think that one of them is ever going to sit down with a candidate and say, okay, yes, I want a country where we have regular electricity, where our roads and other infrastructure are in good shape, where we have a healthcare system that works? No. All they sit down and talk about is uh, if you win. So here you have Tinubu, uh, somebody like Tinubu, and he's going around saying he's consulting uh, with stakeholders. And as I've always argued, we have to demystify this whole idea of who the stakeholders are. Every Nigerian has an equal stake in the country. Whether you're a truck um, uh, a pusher in Obomosho, a taxi driver in Lagos, uh, some uh, roadside uh, vendor, in Kano, you have a strong a stake in Nigeria as an Obasanjo or uh, a Danjuma. Okay, so that's one thing that that um, that that needs to be clarified. So when these political candidates go around and they meet a few traditional rulers who are neither traditional nor leaders uh, in uh, properly understood, or they meet other politicians who have helped to wreck Nigeria, and they say they are doing consultations, what do they ultimately consult? There's not one of these stakeholders who is going to say to the candidates or to the would-be candidates, I want you to create a country uh, where there is regular electricity so that our industrial capacity will be can be optimized. You can't see them saying we need I need you, as when you become, if you become leader, president, to um, create the first healthcare system for Nigerians that is uh, meaningful and vibrant, uh, or to strengthen our educational system. No, all they negotiate is if you win, 
I'm going to appoint so many, I'm going to nominate so many people to have to be on your cabinet or to have board positions in order to continue to plunder the resources of Nigeria. And so I don't blame them for making those calculations. The people I blame are young Nigerians, university students, young graduates who do not have not done the analysis to see that they themselves are the net losers when they allow these, you know, uh, inept uh, men who call themselves political chieftains, I call them chieftains, <laughs> you know, to run roughshod over the country's affairs. Yeah, but, you know, it, it's, it's, they've been, they've been gaslit into believing, look, man, this is the way, this is the way of the world, mm-hmm. you know, oh, this is how it's going to, and maybe one day, if you support me, I will uh, make sure you or somebody in your family will get. So like I was, there's this, when I go on the, so the audio apps, um, there's this fellow, for instance, who, like many others, who come, who come in and brandish the people they know and all that and chastise people for not, the way they will talk to you, like, look, man, you don't know what you, you need to, more or less, you need to, if you don't know any better, if you ride my coattails, I will make sure I introduce you to this person. Yes. If if there's something, you know, it's like doing it. It's like, wow, you know, it's like, it's like, and it'd be great if this was like for big time business. To, mm-hmm. This is just mainly for somebody to, you know, survive and maybe slightly thrive, maybe be able to afford um, a little better, afford some flight tickets here and there, um, afford um, housing, basic necessities. You'd have to literally... Um, um, bow down to these people, the proximity to power. Somebody's people's whole industry and business is that proximity to power in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. We get down from the airport, a- anything happens, somebody's whipping out my feet, their phone, do you know who I am? I'm calling this person. Mm-hmm. And that's what people even come, even on global discussing apps, global social media platforms, to start, th- in fact, that I heard there is a whole, um, they, there's something called doxing. For those who don't know, they mass report you mm-hmm. for something or the other. That is something they've done. Um, there's something they have like the Buhari gang. I, I, someone was telling me about mm-hmm. it. The Buhari gang on, on Twitter or something. If you become too prominent, uh, they, they dox you. Uh, and in so many ways they do that. And it's all young people. Mm. It's people who we, we the people need to break out of that mindset. And it's not like we haven't done it before. We've seen, um, even though that spirit had, has been crushed, but we've seen them, the, the young revolts, the even the last ones, like the Ali must goes mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Um, but it's that people don't tend to, don't want to believe that if they hold the system, if they, are, if they sit down and say, we're going to hold the system accountable, the system would have to acquiesce to their demands. Absolutely. And that's something, you know, we, Gonna keep talking about here, and people need to. It takes a village to to get there. Um, but so far, so good. What I have been seeing is these celebrities, these people go on um, Instagram lives or whatever. Tell you uh, the person who the man. It's almost re- reminiscent of reminiscent of uh, the Abacha era. Mm-hmm. There, was a, there was this advert where the cap was flying. Yes. You know, yeah. who the cap yeah. fits. Yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And it's, it's like that what they're doing with Tinubu. Absolutely. And so on and so forth. Yeah. When I think the criteria you set forth is 
probably the best criteria. We have problems. We have real problems. Take your bias out of it. Try and at least try and take your bias out of it. Try and take your, um, try and take your ethnic coloration out mm-hmm. of it mm-hmm. and ask yourself who, who gets the short end of the stick. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's important. The point you just made, um, uh, I think that is a comment on, um, on the, uh, the quality of education of enlightenment that we get in in Nigeria in our formal uh, schooling that a lot of people quickly retreat to their ethnic and religious or clanic zones okay and so there are lots of Nigerians with degrees that you would expect to be rational in the choices they make and yet um, when it comes to the crunch the same people would quickly you know, just without thinking, you know, so, okay, this person has, I'm Yoruba, and this person has um, a Yoruba, fellow Yoruba name, so I'm going to uh, support the person, or I'm a Christian, and this person, you know, is a Christian as well, so I'm going to support the person. And yet, what we don't understand is that uh, when people win political power, it's a class system. If Etinubu wins the presidency in Nigeria, there are Igbo men and women who are politicians who are in the same class and circles, who are committed to the same form of, you know, um, of 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 um, lax political lax standards, who are going to profit. Okay, there are House Fulani who will profit. So. On that, uh, of Basanja, for example, there were lots of Igbo men uh, and women who did well financially, okay? Uh, on the Jonathan, there were lots of Northerners who did well. Uh, so it's not, it's at the, at, our, at the lower level that people keep making all these distinctions about this person is, uh, is a fellow Igbo man, so I'm going to support him automatically. Um, what you need to look at if your education counts for anything is how are my self-interests served and how are the communal interests served by the choice that I'm making politically, okay? So if you choose a bad candidate just because a candidate belongs to your ethnicity or belongs to your religion or is from your state or local government, I want you to know that if the person then takes over and you don't get paid your salary, you can't go to the marketplace and say, hey, the president or the governor is from my local government, so give me uh, your groceries uh, on credit. Mm-hmm. Okay? You still have to pay. If you choose a governor because he's from your local government and this governor is a buffoon and does not pay attention to the roads, guess what? You're going to die on those roads, you know, which he is going or to Or your abandon. loved ones. Or your loved ones are going to die. Uh, if the hospitals are not attended to, if they have no uh, medications and so on, if they don't hire good doctors, you know, people are going to be sick. Sometimes it could be you. Uh, if, it isn't, if it isn't you, it could be your very good friends, it could be your very good relatives and so on. So we have to... Young people, because when we started this uh, podcast, I said to you that the only reason I want to do it at all is that I want a forum where we can talk to young people. 
Mm-hmm. There are a certain age of Nigerians who are so fixed in their ways, who are so inflexible in their attitude to things that I, in a sense, I discount them. You know, you never quite give up on a human being. But young people, I, we want to address you. You know, um, if the outcome of the 2023 elections turn out to be terrible for Nigeria, if the wrong person or wrong party is put in power, um, it's going to be on you. I mean, of course, a lot of it will be that there is rigging. Uh, you know, we can't discount that. But again, if people stand up, young people stand up and say, this is our political future, this is our lives, we don't accept rigging, they're going to minimize the quality of rigging that takes place. But what do we see? Sometimes the thugs that are hired, the riggers themselves, the electoral official, officials who write the wrong results, happen to be young people as well yeah. and happen to be educated, yeah. which is tragic. And then you see them coming out to make these arguments. Um, I mean, you're absolutely spot on. You see them coming out to make these arguments. I was listening to some conversation today about the Astro strike that is happening. And I mean, I, I'm like, listening to that conversation, I just went away with it. Um, just based on what they were saying, like Nigeria has a one million tyrants waiting in the wings. Like some guys were, some people were, oh no, after you strike, you will never get your salary. I'm like, wow, this is, this, this, are you in government? Mm-hmm. I was like, why are you, somebody goes on strike for something and your response is you'll never get your salary and all. So we have, you know, and, um, you know, it's, it's, I think it's, it's, 2023, it's a one of the seminal moments in the area called Nigeria because what was it, 5.3? And I always keep throwing that stat. We have a birth rate of about 5.3, mm-hmm. one of the highest in the world. Um, we are probably over 200 million people within the country, mm-hmm. for instance. Um, growing population, just like you said earlier on, um, right now people are just simply taking our uh, um, human talents mm-hmm. um, stacking it up I mean everybody is, is talking about Niger- Nigerians in different even though one in five black people globally are Nigerians statistically everybody's talking about Nigerians in different places um, picking up jobs all over the world um, everywhere you go you see it IT tech nursing medicine um, media um Everywhere, man, it's, it's like, it's sports. I mean, we, we, we are flying so many flags left, right, the center. We, 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 it's, it's, it's insane. And a lot of these people are, are, are start off as um, refugees in some ways. People just leave, their parents leave, and they, 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 you know. So we have so much of this, and it's going to be a problem if the best need to leave if the best keep needing to go places to ever achieve anything mm-hmm. for people not to look down on you based on age yes. in one way, shape or form. So, um, but yeah, I mean, to me, this is um, probably a conversation that would probably have to even continue as well. Because mm-hmm. if the question is who, who are the people, um, who are the people, are the, the, it's not, we're not trying to endorse anybody here. Mm-hmm. Who are the people? You've laid out the criteria. Problems? Do you know the problems? Do you have the solution? Is there a passion to solve these problems? Is there, a at capacity. some level, capacity and this thing at some level? 
Um, we can keep going down the list of, of possible people. Yeah. Um, talked about the Mogalo, talked about the Faladro Toye, talked about a Remy, Shonaya. Um, talked about um, a whole bunch of people who have, uh, I, I part of Tommy, so it was one of my favorites because I always had the pleasure of listening to him growing up. And I, I feel that somebody who has um, passion, I'd been seeing him even come on Clubhouse and talk about it. Um, people attacked him, Igbo, Igbo people attacked him for not being sufficiently distant to the Igbo cause. And I mean, he told a story I never ever heard when I was a kid about how he escaped um, this thing, um, uh, the Asaba massacre itself. Um, you know, the, 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 what I'd rather, we've had that conversation in terms of um, uh, ethnic cleansing, more or less, at the very least. Um, some people would classify it as genocide as well, but at least I, for the very least, would classify it as ethnic cleansing, mm. without a doubt. Um, and because people are just surprised at how passionate he is at, at the Nigerian project. Mm. I'm not endorsing any, I'm just saying, these are ideals in a lot of people, um, a lot of individuals who have come out into the political spheres mm -hmm. who, add for lack of a better word, what do we have to lose, man? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'll I tell you something. I think uh, it's about time to wrap up. Yeah. And I'd like to wrap up by telling a story because as you were speaking a moment ago, I was, I remembered, you know, this, uh, a memory, this story, and I, I cracked up and started laughing. But it's, it's a story that illustrates the, um, the tragedy of having uh, reprehensible, um, idea-less uh, men and women as uh, uh, the hem of affairs in, 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 in the country. So this is a, a story that a, a doctor friend of mine who is a, a US-based doctor, very, very brilliant guy, and some years ago, he was feeling a desire to um, help a state government in Nigeria to set up um, an ideal healthcare system. You know, because when you talk about healthcare in Nigeria, people, people, a lot of people think, oh yeah, the, gov the governor built hospitals. You know, that's not healthcare. You know. So we don't have enough time to go into what does it mean to have a healthcare system. But it's a very broad, holistic system where you start caring for people where preventative medicine is even more important than therapeutic medicine where when people are already sick and so on. So this guy uh, wanted to help set up one state in Nigeria because he felt if he did it in one state, it would be so, so beautiful and, and, and just effective that other states, if they had sense, would want to uh, would borrow the same system. So he went to his state governor, his Yoruba, by the way, and the state governor, you know, wasn't interested. He was too busy stealing funds and so on. And finally, he um, uh, got somebody who was from the Niger Delta to introduce him to a governor from the Niger Delta who is down late, so I'm not going to name him. And uh, so this governor agreed to meet with this doctor. And uh, the governor happened to be in London. This doctor flew into, uh, into London from the U.S. to meet with the, with the governor. And uh, they had a meeting scheduled and the governor canceled several of those meetings. And finally, the governor said, oh, let's meet at night because the governor was throwing a party. 
And so this guy arrived at the party with his friend, uh, his contact who, was who had made the uh, introduction. And as soon as he came in at this party, the governor had a cigar in his mouth and uh, you know, was carrying one woman on one lap, another woman on the other lap, and you know, had a bottle of, uh, a, a glass of cognac in his hand, was puffing his cigar. So this guy came and said to uh, this um, the person, is that our young, uh, is that our doctor friend from America? I said, yes. So the governor said, uh -huh. uh, so what do you want to drink? What do you want? So the guy said, um, you know, uh, maybe uh, juice or something. He said, ah, what do you mean? Ah, you know, there is a cognac, there is all this uh, uh, whiskey and so on. Why no, you, you can't drink uh, uh, juice in my party. You have to. So the guy said, okay, let me have um, a shot of cognac. And he brought, he ordered for a whole bottle to be given to this doctor. So he and the doctor then sat next to him with these two women on his lap. And um, so he said to the doctor, eh, do you know what I want? I was in Lagos the other day and I saw some ambulance going, fiam, fiam, fiam. You know, so I want to buy ambulance for my state uh, so that they will be going fiam, fiam, fiam in my state. Uh, go and find me the cost of getting 10. Uh, 10 of those uh, ambulance uh, vehicles. And that was the end of the conversation. He just wanted to get ambulance that would be going fiam, fiam, fiam. <laughs> <laughs> and this young man, this brilliant doctor, had gone to speak to him about setting up a healthcare system that will serve the people of his state. He was just interested in the ambulance just so it's, it's like a mockery of what it means to be a leader. If you get me some ambulance, go and cost it. Buy, I will buy 10. And all he thought was, I'm going to give you money. You're going to make money. But this doctor already had money. He wanted his ideas to fertilize healthcare in Nigeria. Mm -hmm. So that's the, that's the crisis, young men and women. Okay? You choose the right leaders that will give you a different country, a positive country, a country you will not want to run away from, a country some of us will want to return to quickly. You choose the wrong kind of leaders, they are Tikus, they are Kinsley, they are Tinubus, they are Rochas or Korochas and Kalos and so on of our world. You choose them, it's going to be the same mess, perhaps even compounded. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for joining us and we look forward to uh, having you join us again in our next episode. Yep. <laughs> Perfect, man. You know the governor in question? <laughs>